all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 277 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the self-number episode of the SLS Cast, because it turns out that since no number added to the sum of its digits generates the number 277, makes it a self-number. Um, yeah, so with that wonderful little bit of self-number knowledge, I have course him mad and coming to us all the way from sunny california would be our resident sony employee the tim the tim Ooh, yes he's got a he's got a the title now Look i out. do i do i i went down to the courts yes all the courts and i changed my name to the tim I I want that to be socially acceptable from here on out is that just because you're a really big fan of boy meets world and Corey does that when he's trying to be in with the cool kids, and they call him Corey, the Corey, whatever his last name is. You know, the funny thing is, is that <laughs> that definitely sounds like something from Boy Meets World. But no, 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 no. Unfortunately, the only episode of Boy Meets World that comes to mind, actually a couple episodes, one of them is the very provocative i guess episode that was all about sex i think tgif was having a sexual a sexual evening with their tv shows where they delved all right deep into them i don't know i don't know um and then the second episode that comes to mind is when his friend when Corey's friend ends up moving and in order for him to sleep soundly wherever he's living now in the suburbs he has a tape of trailer park sounds and traffic noises, and that's the only way he's able to fall asleep. So yes, therefore, the two episodes that uh, come to mind when I think of Boy Meets World is that weird trailer noise episode and the one about sex. Wow. Yes. Okay. I I didn't realize it was uh, it was that serious. I just you know remember watching in passing some Boy Meets World every once in a while, uh, and uh, my my kids liked that uh, girl meets world the reboot there that apparently was abysmal i'm guessing that's not on anymore no i i think it lasted like two seasons or something like that they, yeah they pretty much unceremoniously canceled i i so i watched a few episodes of boy meets world way back in the day um i, I was not ex- i was clearly not its target audience but i remember it being pretty funny pretty wholesome you know back then and so I uh, watched with great interest when they announced Girl Meets World, and they were bringing back the original cast, you know, to be the parents, right? Corey and Topanga are now the actual parents of the girl from Girl Meets World. And so I was like, oh, well, this should this should be fun, you know? And I told the girls about it, and they're like, oh, well, we want to watch it. So, of course, you know, they pull it, pull it up on the old Netflix or whatever. And I came in and I'm like, what is this terrible TV show? This is, you know, several weeks later. And like, oh, it's Girl Meets World. And they really liked it. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's so bad. So bad. (laughs) It was literally one of those you just can never go home again things. And I mean, not that Boy Meets World was, you know, the epitome of family sitcom television, but at least... It was genuine and had heart, you know, which I think is why it uh, 
did so well at it, you know, at the time that it was out. This was just like, Jesus Christ, I don't, you know. It's child humor. It's it's adolescent it, humor. It really was. Instead of adolescent humor wrapped around something that is true and meaningful. I mean, it was just really craptastic adolescent humor, you know. So I guess it more or less kind of worked for a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 5-year-old. <laughs> but not your 10-year-old or 7-year-old and 5-year-old. They should be watching the Sex Ed Different Strokes episode yeah. <laughs> every single day when they get... So uh, going back to what you were saying about you can never go home. Uh, I've been I've been uh, away from Houston, uh, living here in Los Angeles for uh, six years now. It'll be six years of, in May. Wow. It, it wasn't until this past trip last month when I realized I can never go home. It took me almost six years to realize that, all because my rental car got towed and I had to deal with that bullshit. I can see why it would, but um, I guess I don't understand how that means you can't go home again. Getting a rental car towed anywhere, anytime is going to suck. I mean, is it somehow easier to deal with that in California? Well, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, my home did this to me. It felt like a betrayal. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, at least now we know where you know your 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 head's at here. I mean, I, uh, I can't say that it makes any more sense, but at least now we know where you're coming from. You know. Yeah, it's all the kale and spinach we eat out here. Indeed. Yes. All Indeed. the Priuses they're warping my mind of <laughs> all things sane. But how are you doing? How how are things on your end? What what have you been up to? Oh, not too much, not too much. Just wrapping up school here for this semester and getting ready for my summer o Spanish. Ooh, the summer o Spanish. Yes, not looking forward to it at all. But um, you know, has to be done, and um, well, you know, hopefully everything will go well. Um, I'm I'm. Uh, having having a, a, a 3.8 overall, you know, cumulative GPA, uh, it's very hard for me to look at that and then just put the mantra in my head of C's get degrees, C's get degrees, C's get degrees. But that is basically what I need. I just need two C's. I need to, I need a C over the next for each of the next two classes, uh, so that I can. So that I can get my degree. And uh, then it literally will have been C's getting degrees. Now, taking Spanish as much as you have as of late, mm -hmm. do you find yourself eating more Mexican food? No. Oh. I guess this has now become inadvertently our Cinco de Mayo episode. I guess it has. So, <laughs> yay Cinco de Mayo. Well, should we continue on with all things Mexican-related? <laughs> I don't know how we can do that, but um, we could segue into the news if you want. Sure. <laughs> let's let's do that. Here we go, folks. It's the news. This is going to be my only 
um, news that I'm going to be talking about. So I've got a trio of stories here all related to MoviePass. Uh, MoviePass has seriously started... Um, I guess you could say they are they are now looking for any which way but loose at this point and are alienating subscribers um they are reaching for all sorts of anything that they can do and so I've got a trio of stories here to talk about what the current state of movie pass is um and and I must say in the interest of full disclosure I am very angry at movie pass right now um, and so I will try and temper my anger with just relating to you what I am seeing here in the movie, uh, in the, in the news with movie pass. So first up movie from uh deadline.com by way of Anthony D'Alessandro. Now this comes to, this is, this is actually back from a little over two weeks ago, um, but it, it is important because it's going to feed into a different article here. MoviePass launches new bundle with bankrupt iHeartRadio. You heard that right. Bankrupt iHeartRadio. Here's what it means. Yes, MoviePass announced a new bundle with iHeartRadio where new subscribers can pay $29.95 to see four 2D movies a month for three months with a free three-month extended trial of the latter's all-access-on-demand music feature. While the business media and Wall Street analysts uh, have gone to town to declare how MoviePass is bleeding more money than it's taking in with its unlimited movie ticket plan, this is an experiment to see how many uh, subs take to the four tickets a month idea. While MoviePass isn't executing a 180-degree change in its strategy, it is testing the waters to see what happens when the marketplace is presented with different options. In this case, a package which offers a cap on movie tickets. Now, I'm going to stop there. Uh, that was uh, about the first third of that article. It's a pretty short article. Uh, so what that means is that is now a quarterly build plan. So it's going to bill every three months, uh, and it's twenty nine ninety five, and you get to see four movies a month. Uh, you can see them all in one week, or you could space them out one, you know, one week at a time. Uh, they don't stack, so if you don't use them, you lose them. And you get this um, three-month trial of iHeartRadio's premium subscription service. iHeartRadio is in serious, serious trouble right now. Uh, they uh, were part of a leveraged buyout back in either 2010 or 2012. And the amount of debt that they leveraged against themselves was staggering and they could never bounce back, which is why they are currently in bankruptcy proceedings. Um, if you'd like to know more about leverage buyout uh, failures, take a look at Toys R Us, for example. Um, Claire's, I think, is also in uh, that state. And for those of you living out west, 99 cent only stores are looking to be probably bankrupt about this time next year because they too did a leveraged buyout and uh, all their bills are coming due in 2019. So get out now while you can. Um, so this is, of course, now everybody's like, aha, see, we told you the unlimited things. Well, currently all existing 999 plans, which I know I am, uh, I, I myself am a part of for movie pass are unaffected. So you still carry on your grandfathered in as far as that goes. But what is telling here is that there is a verge article, uh, from just three days ago where it says movie pass is no longer too good to be 
true. Uh, and actually, I guess I should uh, preface this with a therap.com article by way from of Trey Williams from April 27th again. It says, MoviePass switcheroo, no more repeat screenings of the same movie. MoviePass CEO says, the change in terms of services to prevent people from gaming the system. Yes, MoviePass unveiled a new feature that actually reverts the service back to before it became one of Hollywood's most discussed companies. The $10 month subscription movie-going service, which of course that is not the case anymore, uh, will no longer allow its subscribers to see the same movie more than once. Uh, MoviePass's updated terms of service reads uh, as follows, quote, the service prohibits repeat viewings of the same movie, end quote. Um... And apparently this is because you can game the system or whatever. Lowe himself says, quote, You can go to Reddit and find hundreds of ways people are getting around the system. A lot of times it takes us some time to really understand uh, that these people are doing, uh, what these people are doing with these features and the impact of them, end quote there. Uh, that then leads into this Verge article by Nick Stat from the 27th as well. Movie Pass is no longer too good to be true. Restrictions on seeing movies more than once and no longer selling its one movie per day plan are bad signs. Um, to capitalize on that last part, it says here in The Verge that uh, they learned earlier this week that for new subscribers, MoviePass is no longer allowing customers to see one movie per day. <clears throat> Instead, the $9.95 subscription will allow customers to only purchase four tickets per month. Uh, and of course, as you know, that's billed quarterly. And it says here also, uh, MoviePass CEO Mitch Lowe admitting that he doesn't know if the quote, unlimited end quote plan will ever return. So, all of that put together, plus they are also now um, slipping people in in a rather uh, snake oil-like fashion. Um, getting people to do their what what is being referred to as stub verification in the movie pass world. So basically, what they want you to do is once you buy your ticket, before you can go and see another movie, you have to take a picture of your ticket stub, not your receipt, your ticket stub, uh, so that they can see that you actually went to the movie and saw the movie, um, whatever. So, um. You have to take your picture. Now, I went and saw uh, Avengers on Infinity War on Friday morning. So I go and see the movie on Friday morning. And I've never been a part of ticket verification. There's nothing in there. Yes, I'd been reading about it on Reddit and other places and stuff like that and other forums. Um, but apparently it's all listed as like beta testing or they're just hitting certain markets or certain people, whatever. So I go see this movie. And I chuck everything. I throw, you know, my napkins away, my receipt, my stub, all that stuff. Well, after the movie, I then get an email. And it says that, you know, hey, it's important updates from MoviePass. And I'm reading the actual MoviePass email here. It says, starting over the next few days... Each time you purchase a movie ticket with your movie pass card, you will be asked to upload a photo of your ticket stub. Um, and then the photo needs to be uploaded da, 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 before you purchase your next ticket. Now, you'll note here, each time you purchase, starting over the next few days each time. Not, 
Not now, not from before, not anything up until when everything happens. It says, if you fail to submit your ticket stub more than once, your account will be canceled and you'll be ineligible to sign up for a new MoviePass account. So you get one wonderful thing here. So um, now for me, I then am like, okay, well, I reread this email here. I read to you. I, I read for myself what I just read verbatim for you. And I'm like, okay, well, good. This is obviously something that's coming into play. So now I need to make sure that I'm saving my stubs and then, you know, whatever. So then all of a sudden this wonderful update hits on Saturday. So I get this update that hits on Saturday. And then all of a sudden now it's, you know, hey, you can't watch any more movies. You know, you can only watch a movie one time, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, um, I can't really think of a time that I ever even watched a movie more than once. So, okay. Um, you know, or at least with MoviePass that I've watched a movie more than once. So, okay. You know, no harm, no foul as far as I'm concerned. So I go in yesterday to, uh, up, you know, to check a movie time because to go and see one of the, uh, talk about one of the movies that we're going to be, or to go look up a time for a movie that we're going to be talking about tonight. And it locks me out. It completely locks me out and says, you got to take a picture of your stub before you can proceed. I'm like, I don't have a stub to take a picture of. I haven't seen a movie in days. You know, at this point, it's now been literally two days since I've seen a movie. I'm not supposed to be in this thing except over the next few days, at which point I will then need to start. So I'm like, I have nothing. I have, you know, so I had to burn my apparently one free chance for grace, for not having a ticket stub, to tell them, you know, you, your fucking email told me I didn't have to worry about it. This is what it says, da 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 You then update on me without me having a way to go in and see another movie before I can update it to have a stub available. So, you you know, your, your shit fucking sucks. Um, so, so now, if I lose a stub for any reason, I guess I lose out on MoviePass. So... At this point, I really feel like uh, MoviePass is doing anything and everything that it can to shed subscribers so that they can save money. More importantly, I really feel that they're going to target annual plan people um, because if they could get that people who especially who re-up uh, as we get closer to that or people who are doing this new $29.99 thing, if they can get you right after they get your money, well, awesome. They get to keep your money, kick you out, you can't come back, uh, and now they got their money up front and they don't lose any money now. Uh, so it makes me very happy that I am now on the $9.99 plan, and it also makes me feel like I need to make damn sure I go see a movie every day now, like at nighttime when it's the most expensive, um, because... If this is how they're treating people, I mean, what the fuck? And it's really, really irritating. I mean, and then, of course, uh, anybody who has a problem with anything, well, uh, their customer service at this point has been 100% uh, abysmal uh, would be, I think, the overall rating that most people would give it. I can agree with that because I didn't hear back from them after my issue a couple weeks ago until like one full week after. So I can agree with you on the customer service needing an overhaul. Yeah. And look, I get it. When you're hemorrhaging this much money and you're still trying to figure out your footing and you're trying to get everything um, set up and, and, and it's really precarious for you, I understand that you got to trim the fat and you got to do everything that you can. But when you are alienating the whole user base that makes – 
that that is giving you all of the press that's giving you all of the ability to start you know flexing the muscle yes even though you're hemorrhaging you still have muscle to flex while you can and you're causing them to bail like rats on a sinking ship well now you're just at this point it's a self-inflicted wound so uh, this this is my news i am done with news but tim what do you think i mean is i mean is movie pass looking like it's flailing at this point i mean i'm pissed well yeah i mean i i was definitely pissed as well when i was going through my whole ordeal when the gps and the app i guess wasn't seeking properly and i went to two different movie theaters and i, I just couldn't reserve a ticket like it wouldn't let me do it and i had to go and i i purchased one of the tickets which every once in a while I'm okay doing, but if you have this app that's supposed to work or the service that's supposed to work, you expect it to work. And so I reach out to them just to let them know what's going on. And I took pictures and screenshots and all this crap. And yeah, I didn't hear from them until like a week or so after. And it just so happens they had a big presence at Coachella that weekend. So it made me think, okay, well... Well, a lot of other people who would need customer service for something like this, you're all out partying at Coachella, promoting MoviePass. And so that that just rubbed me the wrong way. But kind of like what you said earlier, I think they're trying to find their footing with the $9 or the $10 membership that you and I have been grandfathered into. That was their way of getting people like us involved. People who go to the movies a lot... They wanted us to be interested, become interested in their product, and it worked. Now, if I did not become involved with, I, it makes it sound like I'm talking about another human being here when I say become involved <laughs> with MoviePass, but <laughs> if I didn't become interested in subscribing to MoviePass till now when they have their four movie a month plan, I still would probably do it and be happy with that because what, that's one movie a week? I wouldn't have to pay for. Now, would that mean I would then have to look at the movies that I choose to go see differently? Yeah. I mean, that would definitely be the case. But again, like I would be okay with still having to pay $12, however much it is now for four movies a week, where otherwise that would be $40, not four movies a week, sorry, four movies a month. Otherwise that would have been 40 bucks a month. That doesn't bother me too much, but when it comes to taking care of your customers, and, and I get it, when it comes to apps and syncing and trying to get everybody on the same page, they need to be there with the customer service to help people like you, people like me, when things get lost in translation, whether it becomes with the technology, it could be user error, you know, you're used to using it as it is a certain way. And then they completely change it on you, and then something happens. Again, it could either be user error or technology error. They should be there to help you out and to put your mind at ease. So I'm hoping this is just a minor speed bump until they get settled. And again, like you said, find their footing. For me, it's the customer service issue that they definitely need to work on. But yeah, it sucks, man. I'm sorry you have to deal with that. I mean, luckily, they didn't completely ban you from your account. Yeah, I mean, no, I get that, but it's like this fucking bait and switch. I mean, it's like it. I would be fine if after I went and saw my next movie that I'm required to have that now because the app updated and now I need to start having movie stubs. And they they told me, you know, okay, great. 
but you didn't tell me I'm even in this new system until well after I've had any opportunity to know that I should have saved the stuff in the first place. You know, it's it'd be one thing if you had sent it to me Thursday, right? Sure. You sent if you had sent it to me on Thursday night, you know, even and been like, hey. We know Avengers is about to come out and we want and we're going to start putting people in so everybody needs to save their stubs just in case you get brought in. Okay, I would have saved my sub on Friday. But I go at 9 a.m. on Friday. I don't get my email. I don't check my email until like 11.45 or something, you know, after I've been out of the movie. And the, the email was sent after I went to the movie. So it's like there's yeah. literally no way for me to have known that I was supposed to say. And now I've burned my one and only chance at, you know, at a grace period or whatever because they're fucking stupid. And, and I understand. I, I don't want this to go away, <laughs> but I don't want to get, you know, shit on either. So Sure. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my news. Uh, you know, Movie Pass is fucking... You know, they're, 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 they look like movie pass is now being just movie pass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to do a couple pieces of news here to wrap up the news. This first piece here is pretty quick via the HollywoodReporter.com. Chicken Run sequel in works at Ardman, exclusive for the Hollywood Reporter. This here is written by Alex Rittman, published on April 26th, and it says this. Almost 20 years after Chicken Run became the most successful stop-motion animated film of all time, a record it still holds, The Hollywood Reporter has learned that Ardman Animations is officially working on a sequel. Details of the project are scarce at the moment, with the movie not yet ready to hit markets, but THR understands that the UK animation powerhouse is developing the pick alongside Studio Canal, with which it has partnered on its most recent titles, and Pathé, which co-financed the original with DreamWorks Animation and distributed it in Europe. Sam Fell, who earned Oscar and BAFTA nominations for 2012's Paranorman, and also helmed Ardman's Flushed Away in 2006, is attached to direct with Paul Cooley, from 2015's Shaun the Sheep movie, producing original writers Carrie Kirkpatrick, who also wrote Over the Hedge, Smurfs 2, and The Spiderwick Chronicles, and John O'Farrell have been reunited to pen the screenplay. Ardman co-founders Peter Lord and David Sproxton are executive producing. 2000's original Chicken Run, Ardman's first full-length feature, which was co-directed by Lord and Oscar-winning Wallace and Gromit creator Nick Park, became a smash hit on both sides of the Atlantic, grossing $106 million in the U.S. and amassing a global haul of $225 million. Telling the story of a group of plucky chickens attempting to escape certain death at the hands of their evil farm owner and boasting a voice cast including the likes of Mel Gibson and Timothy Spall, the film was also critically acclaimed with a 97% Rotten Tomatoes rating alongside BAFTA and Golden Globe nominations. Uh, the article does go on from there. I was a big fan of the Chicken Run movie. In fact, I think I saw it twice at the movie theater. I enjoyed it so much the second time I thought, you know what? I wish there was a PlayStation game of this movie, and it turned out there was a PlayStation game for this movie, and uh, I got that game for either my birthday or Christmas that year. 
and I never did beat it because I could never successfully escape like they did in the movie. Matt, what do you think about this? Were you a fan of Chicken Run back in 2000? No! Look, I, I get it. I was too old. I had missed the boat. I liked the, uh, you know, I thought Wallace and Gromit was pretty interesting back in the 90s. I liked those stupid little Chevron with Tecron ads that they had using the same firm to do the stop motion animation and stuff. And I went and saw Chicken Run in the theater because wasn't like Mel Gibson the rooster voice or something in that movie? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was. So, so I, you know, and it was cute, but I was just not... Um, I, I mean, I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. Yeah. And, and that's it. Look, I, I'm not, I, I'm not going to trash the movie by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very good stop motion animation. I'm not a particularly huge fan of the art style, um, which I think also limits my ability to enjoy it. Um, you know, the, the, um, I thought, you know, Flushed Away is similar in, in tone and style. And that was okay as well. Um, I don't know. It just, something about it just doesn't really do it for me. And I really just don't care that they're making a sequel to it. Literally 18 <laughs> years later. I think maybe the time has passed. Well, I'm glad I chose that piece of news to talk about then. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Next up from filmschoolrejects.com. I'm just going to knock the last two out together. First one here from Film School Rejects. Uh, Netflix wants to buy movie theaters. This here is written by William Dawes, and it was published on April 24th. And it says this, a surprise move that could be ripe for success. Last week, the LA Times reported that Netflix is considering buying movie theaters. So far, it seems like the initial interest is primary for locations in LA and New York. Expanding their aim beyond that would certainly be affordable, considering their plan to spend $8 billion on content this year, and also a great idea. A big part of Netflix's ethos is wrapped up in worldwide day-and-date releases. They want everyone to have access to the film at the same time. This causes problems for the company when it comes to awards consideration with Cannes and the Oscars. Therefore, the immediate value of the endeavor would allow them to control the terms of their own theatrical release. But that's so limited. While I am deeply interested in Netflix's ongoing duel with the art house and awards arenas, this piece of news is particularly fascinating and relevant to the future of the theater-going experience. There are a couple of threads I like to pull into the conversation. When a major blockbuster film comes along, they push hard to own all the screens they possibly can. Disney's Star Wars Less Jedi held more than 4,200 screens in the U.S., do you think theater chains fought to keep spaces for other films? At least, films for which they weren't contractually obligated to provide a certain number of screens? While Disney slugged it out for screen real estate, they also demanded higher splits on the ticket sales. Instead of the industry range of 40% to 55%, they wanted a 65-35 split. Hey, that means more for everybody, right? More screens, more seats sold. The biggest studios with the biggest blockbusters have a lot of clout, and it doesn't get better than Disney right now. 
That said, it seems awfully rare to enter a theater where literally all the screens are owned by the weekend's reigning blockbuster. Netflix would certainly aim to screen blockbuster films to help drive their own theater attendance, but control of the screens would allow them a protected bubble for their own original content. Disney's blockbuster franchise model really does have quite a bit of pull in today's market. In fact, between those films and SVOD streaming video on demand, companies like Netflix, there has been a major disruption to the business of cinemas. Uh, the article does go on for quite a bit more. Check out the article, Netflix Wants to Buy Movie Theaters, from filmschoolrejects.com. I think it's pretty interesting. I get it that Netflix isn't wanting to buy all these theaters just to run them to the ground. They're going to still show first-run popular movies like your Avengers and your Captain Americas and your DC movies if they ever become that popular. But they will also show more independent films. Now, what will be interesting is if they will show more Netflix films over Amazon films or more Netflix films over you know, Fox Searchlight films or IFC films or so, uh, Sony Pictures Classic films. So even though they're going to show more indie, art housey type movies, it'll be interesting to see how they compare with, you know, the number of screens that they share amongst these other art house distributors. And then finally, from Deadline Hollywood, therefore Deadline.com, Khan's response to dispute over Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote and Threat to Film's Fest debut. This here is written by Nancy Tardiglione. Nancy Tardiglione. Tardiglione. Nancy T-A-R-T-A-G-L-I-O-N-E. Yes, Nancy T. And this here is published on April 30th, and it says this. As Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote faces yet another hurdle on its way to the screen, the Cannes Film Festival has pledged itself firmly on the side of the filmmaker, releasing a statement to the effect, Cannes today addressed a legal challenge levied last week by Paulo Bronco and his Alfama Films Productions that seeks to have the movie pulled from its official May 19th closing night slot as part of a rights dispute. Cannes chief Pierre Lescure and Thierry Fermeau, Fermeau, Thierry, Thierry Fermeau said they will respect the court's decision at a hearing May 7th, the day before the festival begins. They also offered a retort to Broncos saying he, quote, has shown his true colors once and for all during this episode and has threatened us via his lawyer with a humiliating defeat, end quote. But, they say, quote, defeat would be to succumb to threats. It is more important than ever to remember that artists need us to support them, not attack them. That has always been the tradition of the Festival de Cannes, and so it will remain, end quote. The man who killed Don Quixote has been termed one of the most cursed projects in history. It's also been the subject of a wrangle between Bronco and Gilliam, who signed a contract in August 2016, giving the producer the rights. But the budget did not materialize, and Gilliam found new backers who got the project on track after the director originally started work on it in 1989, and 17 years later after shooting first began in 2000. Both sides had lodged complaints 
Last May, a French court ruled in favor of Bronco, but said he could not stop the film from shooting. Then earlier this month, an appeals court heard from the parties with the final decision to be delivered June 15th. And the article goes on from there, but uh, it sounds like Cannes is, in fact, backing up Terry Gilliam over the man who killed Don Quixote. I feel very confident that all is going to be fine, and the movie will be shown. Therefore, my dreams of finally seeing this goddamn movie will be fulfilled. But of course, like what Matt is going to say, (laughs) or at least I know what he's thinking, he will not believe it until he actually has his butt sat in a theater seat, and actually watching it. So, Matt. Truer words, sir. (laughs) Truer (laughs) words. Do you have any comments on uh, the Terry Gilliam cans stuff or Netflix buying movie theaters? Not the Terry Gilliam can film festival. Not that. All joking aside, I am skeptical still, but I do at least believe it is now possible. Going back to the Netflix thing, I actually think it's a really smart idea for them to do this for two reasons. One, and most importantly, it ensures, because where I'm sure the markets that they're looking at buying the theaters and, and where they will automatically make it so that they'll always qualify for Oscar contention for anything that they want to qualify. So that, that immediately removes that obstacle going forward. But... This also allows them um, a real and true thorough testing ground for what people want to see when they go to the movie theater. They'll be able to test all sorts of different of movies. Yes, they are going to be focusing on the art house stuff, uh, but the next time that you know their sci-fi adventure comes up, their uh, their their fantasy adventure, which is something that they are heavily promoting over the next few years uh as their uh for their movie and tv slate um they'll be able to to really fine tune what it is people want to see in the theater versus at home and or what people are willing to 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 do both for right much like uh as everyone always points out with amazon like they did with the big sick and with manchester by the sea uh, but this way, Netflix kind of has its own nationwide lab, if you will. Now, I mean, it's it's still limited to a degree, um, but they will really and truly be able to kind of sit there and say, okay, these are the types of people who are going to go and see this movie, and they'll still go and see it at the theater, even though they could see it on Netflix. Um, and these are the kinds of movies people are going to see, so we need to start making more of them for Netflix Etc. So I think it's a very smart move by them, and I hope that they are able to temper this laboratory with the ability to at least break even, if not be profitable, so that they can keep the theaters open for as long as they can. So I think this is actually a good move, and ultimately could lead to um, something that will give more good filmmaking potential from Netflix outside of the documentary category. Um, I know uh, that Tim especially has been pretty hard on, um, you know, not as a general rule, but more often than not harder on Netflix stuff. That's not documentary. Uh, I know that while I'm not quite as hard as Tim, um, I still agree with Tim that it's not, it's generally not the highest caliber. 
So outside of the documentary stuff. So hopefully if things go well with this new laboratory, the, my self-proclaimed title for it, uh, laboratory with the movie theaters that they're going to be buying, then that might solve that problem too. So I think this could be very, very good for Netflix. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, it's definitely good for Netflix. It's just, it's. I'm just curious to see how, if they're honest about why they're doing it. If it's specifically for their own gain, for their own films, or if they're actually going to try to be open to other companies, other distributors, and other films. I would venture to guess that they will probably be open to pretty much everybody, but blatantly Hulu or blatantly Amazon. I would imagine that they will definitely freeze them out as best as they can. But that's why I was saying, I really think that that's why I kind of hope that they are able to temper this laboratory state that they're going to have with the ability to at least break even by showing, you know, your Avenger movies, like you were saying, your Avenger movies, your Disney movies, your DC movies, et cetera, et cetera, so that they can, so that they'll make enough money to keep them open. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, was that all your news then, sir? That is definitely my news. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the news. Next week's bonus segment is going to be Did It Age Well? And we're going to be covering The Witches of Eastwick. Yes, 1987 American comedy fantasy film. Uh, it's actually based on John, John Updike's novel of the same name from 1984. Which, for those who may or may not care, the novel got a sequel back in like 2008. So 2007, 2008. So it's called The Widows of Each of Eastwick. So there's that anyway. And I think without further ado, it is time for the movies, is it not, sir? Movie it up here at the SLS cast. Oh, Movie right, it up. Then. Are you trying to do like, you're the one that I want or something? No, I'm trying to do <laughs> oh. the Bee Gees. Um... Oh shit! What's oh my god? Now I can only think of what I've just been saying. Do 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 do. Oh god, dog, son of a daggummit, son of a bitch. More more than a woman? No. Um. Well, it's not how deep is your love. Do 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 do. Too much heaven? Oh. Oh well, we'll think of it at some point. Without further ado, it's the movie. All right, and this week's movies are Avengers Infinity War, You Were Never Really Here, Rampage 2018, and uh, The Death of Stalin. Where where, where do you want to start there, sir? How about, uh, okay, I'm going to go with least liked and i'm gonna go i'm gonna say rampage okay rampage was my least liked movie okay cool so that that'll be a very nice easy uh easy review rampage i rescued george he was two years old he's not just a friend he's family don't move a muscle are you crazy no don't move Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Very funny. You and I laughing at your joke. New guy, he no laugh. He cry. You can get up now. And check your diaper. Come on. Let's go. Got your message about George, you okay? I don't know. 
George. It's okay. Is it me or is he considerably bigger? No, he's definitely bigger. I need to find someone who knows exactly what the hell this thing is. I found her. No, that's a lie. Technically, she found us. What's happening to my friend? Are you familiar with genetic editing? Changes will be incredibly unpredictable. Increased strength. George! Speed, agility. No! Try the cells and chains that can't run. Where's George? I need to see him. He is dangerous. I think it's time. We've created the next chapter in natural selection. Project Rampage works. You got another one of your little science experiments running around. What do you mean another one? Of course, the wolf flies. Stop, stop. It's time we throw everything we can at these things and get people the hell out of that city. Let's go save the world. That's a big arm. Don't fight it. You know there are other ways of dealing with people. I do know that, yeah, but that's no fun. George? You okay? Ready to do this, buddy? That's right. 2018 American science fiction monster films directed by Brad Payton and very, very, very loosely based on the video game series uh, of the same name by Midway Games from the 80s. Uh, movie stars. Was it even kind of based on the video game? <laughs> Honestly, I mean, for as close as you could make it, the, really the only the only major difference was that the beasts did not revert to humans. Uh, from a from a lab experiment, they were just naturally already the beasts that they were that were then you know massively evolved to grow and be like that. So, um, but that there they had them punching the buildings and destroying them. One one of the animals, I think it was um, uh, George, I think actually punches out one of the windows and grabs somebody out of there and eats them, which is directly from the video game. So, I, you know, I gotta give them, I gotta give it to them. But, um, you know, at any rate, <laughs> uh, the film stars Dwayne Johnson, Naomi Harris, Malin Ackerman, Jake, uh, Lacey, Joe, uh, Manganiello, and, uh, if I met, right? Manganiello? I guess that's it. And uh, <laughs> just do what Man- I do and just Manganiello. M A N G A N I E L L O. Manganiello. There we go. I did it. Okay. Um, Jeff and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. All right. So basically, uh, this movie is about um, a primatologist named Dwayne, uh, named Dwayne, played by Dwayne Johnson. Um, uh, he, he plays a guy named Davis who has to team up with his favorite albino uh, gorilla named George. And they basically have to save the world uh, from this mutant space virus that uh, causes instant evolution of any lower grade mammal it touches because apparently it only affects animals and reptiles somehow it does not affect mammals because then it would affect humans as well so um yeah now this movie is completely ridiculous completely over the top totally stupid uh and the cgi is 
at best decent when it's all CGI elements. When it's not all CGI elements, it's pretty terrible. That being said, God damn it, if Dwayne Johnson doesn't just have this persona and charisma that makes you like him and the characters that he plays, even when they're kind of more or less similar to other characters that he already has played. And and you just like the characters enough that despite the ridiculousness of the movie, you kind of find yourself having a good time anyway. And that's what this movie is. Mindless, stupid entertainment with generally bad CGI, and yet you just can't help yourself but to like Dwayne Johnson uh, and his characterization, and even a couple of the characters besides, um, like, uh, oh, what, 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 what's the guy i guess the the colonel blake was that who it is the 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 no jeffrey dean morgan plays harvey russell and yeah he's just like this complete cliche it's it, it's oh my god i can't even just this complete cliche but you just kind of can't help but like him so i give this one a 3.25 i give it a 3.25 because i damn it i couldn't help but like it but it's really not that great of a movie um, it's, it's all pomp, no circumstance, completely bombastic. And yet you just can't help but like characters anyway. So 3.25. And that's all I have to say. This was just a straight up three out of five movie for me. Uh, I wasn't really interested in seeing it, but I was told and I did read about some of the monster fighting action was pretty cool and worth checking out. So, you know, I, I was fine with using my movie pass and checking it out. And it was a fun theater. People reacted to it uh, and had fun watching it. And the sound was great. And also, I did not see it in 3D. But even though I wasn't too bothered by the CGI, I wasn't too bothered. Actually, I wasn't bothered at all by the action. I thought it was pretty thrilling for the most part. Um, I, I, I thought giving Hal effectively violent some of the action was how adult oriented some of the humor was how i guess you could say gory the movie turned out to be um a lot of it was still geared towards young kids it felt like and families for instance the humor that wasn't adult oriented or wasn't pertaining to the monkey flicking off Dwayne Johnson, you know, like there was a lot of really stupid adolescent humor in it that you would find in a movie geared towards middle schoolers. So, I mean, it just was as weird. It was kind of like the filmmakers got together and they thought of all these different aspects in all these different one liners uh, that would specifically entertain or connect with a specific audience member. And they put all those vastly different aspects together and put it in a big blender. And that is how they produced, um, you know, this movie, you know, like, like that's how they produced the hooks within this film. And therefore that just made the movie overall feel very mismatched 
and nothing really blended together in a nice, cohesive way. I thought Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character was not great. I thought if they played this movie straight, without being hokey and over-the-top goofy, I thought if, yeah, if, play, if, if this movie was played straight, where the goofy elements within the movie just kind of just happen because they're just overly silly, that they're not trying too hard to give the audience this, you know, wink, nudge, and a, a hand job while they're at it. You know, the movie would have been much more entertaining and less distracting. I guess a movie that I can compare it to is Shoot 'em Up with Clive Owen and Paul Giamatti. The movie is absolutely ridiculous, but... The movie doesn't ever really confess to being outright ridiculous. Like, it doesn't, you know, it just kind of works within the confines of the movie. They don't have to make these stupid jokes just to remind you that you're watching a popcorn action movie. So, I wish this movie would have taken a note from other films that have done this sort of thing better. Three out of five for me, if you're a fan of Dwayne Johnson and you're not a fan of action spectacle monster movies, I'd say skip it because not even The Rock's charisma and personality can really save this film. But what does save this film, in my opinion, is all the action and the CGI animal mayhem. Three out of five if you're interested in that sort of thing. Right on, sir. What do you want to turn? How about... You were never really here. Let's do it. I'm going to ask you some questions. How many are there? One guy inside the front door. Second guy on the top floor. After the tone, please leave a message. It's done. A man called and he wants to see you right away. State Senator Albert Vato. His teenage daughter's missing. What's the lead? You got an anonymous text with an address. I've heard of these places. They said you were brutal. I can be. I want you to hurt them. Get up, can you hear me? My name is Joe. It's okay, come here. Close your eyes. Where are you going? Taking your dad. You got him. Yeah! Pick up the phone. What is going on? The cops are involved. Where is she? Don't worry. I'll get her. It's okay, Joe. It's okay. So, You Were Never Really Here, 2017 thriller film written and directed by Lynn Ramsey, based on the book of the same name by Jonathan Ames. Film stars Joaquin Phoenix, Ekaterina Samsonov. Look, I see, I got that one right. What the fuck is up with the other? Okay. Uh, Alex Manette, John Doman, and Judith Roberts. Uh, let's see here. So, what we have is a film about a combat veteran, former FBI agent with PTSD uh, and extreme issues with uh, childhood memories uh, as well as um, military and FBI memories all closing in on him uh, is Joe and he basically makes his living by going after uh, 
human uh trafficked humans basically uh generally young girls uh so he rescues them and then um does bad things to the bad people who trafficked these girls uh he gets called in by uh well actually and very important he gets uh he is discovered by someone uh people know that he has been discovered he is told that he is discovered and he's kind of like i'll risk it he gets put up to a job by a senator to go and rescue the senator's daughter and shenanigans ensue so um i don't so so i don't know if you guys have seen uh assault on cell block 99 or not it's a vince vaughn flick i watched it about a month ago i guess um did we didn't cover that for the show did we uh no we did not okay um i i liked the premise of that movie and if you uh haven't seen it vince vaughn is basically a guy who is a very 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 smart um drug uh, mule, if you will, drug trafficker per se. He's not exactly a drug dealer, but he makes sure that the drugs get from point A to B. Um, he ends up uh, in prison and basically has to fight his way to the top to make sure that he gets his... Um, well, to basically just make sure that his family is taken care of. Now... Um, this movie is kind of singularly focused as well. And it is it in some in some ways it's I don't want to say ludicrous, but it takes itself in its single-minded focus of Joe. Joe is a machine and he just goes and does what he needs to do um for as much as fighting off of his own demons as um trying to right the wrongs of the world. You know, it, it kind of like, as long as these two aims work together, Joe moves forward. And at any point that they don't, Joe stops. And when Joe stops, Joe suffers. Um, and so when they have a reason to keep the plot moving forward for Joe, the movie does well. But when they, they almost seemingly invent obstacles that cause Joe to stop, which then makes the characterization kind of suffer a bit because we get that he is suffering. We get that Joe has the PTSD. We get that Joe, in certain ways, is kind of like a shark. No swim bladder. Has to keep moving or, he's, or, or the shark sinks. And so Joe is kind of like that as well. Problem is that instead of working the PTSD into the narrative organically as something that also has to be overcome... It's just kind of like a byproduct of the events of the movie that caused him to kind of focus on these things. And it was one of those things that uh, that kind of lends itself not quite to ridiculousness or incredulity so much as it, it, it smacks of a little laziness. And it was one of my problems with, um, with it, one of the similar... Uh, issues that I had with the tone of Assault on Cell Block 99 um, because it's the same thing. Instead of just letting the movie have an organic flow, they kind of invent reasons for things to happen and it kind of gets a little ridiculous. Um, but all in all, it's a great movie and um, Joaquin Phoenix is like, he's a scary motherfucker when he wants to be. And I definitely dig it. I give this one a four out of five. What do you got there, Tim? 
this was the movie that I paid for out of my own pocket, and I was actually fine with doing it, because though I didn't enjoy the movie as much as Matt, there was something within the aesthetic of the movie that just really kept me invested. It was visually poetic, you know, which places the film within a very atmospheric setting that just made the film that much more interesting and and well worth my time and $13 that I paid to uh, sit in the theater and watch it. However, it felt as if, and Matt, I, I think this is kind of what you were saying, it felt like they were just purposely doing it for the sake of the movie being visually poetic, it only can go so much until it's the end of the movie and you're like, oh, well, that's all they did. That's all that happened. Like, I was never really completely connected to the character to where what happens at the end was enough for me to be satisfied. And that is really my only issue with the film. I give it a 3.5 out of 5. I think it's a good film. It could be one of those ones that you have to go back and watch it again to maybe appreciate it more. That very well could be the case. Joaquin Phoenix does great. The look of this movie is stunning. Again, visually poetic. I came across a couple articles uh, online about the visual poetry of this woman's films. It's very, very interesting. And after reading that article, I kind of wanted to go back and rewatch the movie again to see if maybe that has more of an effect because I really didn't think about looking at the movie in such a way. But it's a good one, and I'm curious to hear uh, what all uh, all of uh, all of you guys and gals think of it. So again, you were never really here. Three point five out of five on my end. Very cool, very cool. All right, well then, uh, what do we got next, sir? The death of Stalin. That's right. Let's check it out, folks. The death of Stalin. <laughs> We call a doctor. <laughs> All the best doctors are dead. I can't remember who's alive and who isn't. It's Comrade Stalin. I'll take it from here. We need to start putting together a plan. How can you run and plot at the same time? We should get Stalin's children here. What are you doing to my father, you jackals? How old are you? I'm old. You're not old! You're not even a person! You're a testicle! Everything's gonna be fine. This is not exactly fine, is it? My father's lying there with his head open. Stalin would have wanted the committee as one. All those in favor? Terry, you unanimously. Rooshed? Not rooshed. Whatever. Not rooshed. Rooshed? Would you stop with this? I want to make a speech at my father's funeral. No, uh, no problem. Uh, technically, yes, but practically. When I said no problem, what I meant was no problem. Ignore me. I'm sorry, but I am very furious. You're the good guy now? You locked up half the nation. Yes, and I'm releasing them. What are you doing? I've been picking out funeral cushions with Slim Hitler over there. Don't worry. Nobody's going to get killed. I promise you. I've had nightmares that made more sense than this. You will not take me down! I will not be silent!
All right, 2017 political satire comedy film directed and co-written by Armando Iannucci. Uh, stars Steve Buscemi, Simon Russell Beale, Patty uh, Considine, uh, Rupert Friend, Jason Isaacs, Michael pa- uh, Palin, Andrea Risenborough, and Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, this is uh, actually based on a French graphic novel. And the film actually depicts the Soviet power struggles that happened uh, following the death of Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin. Um, so, and this, of course, takes place in 1953. Now, the now this is, it's loosely based on it. And um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this movie is that they make no bones about the fact that this is political satire. There are no cheesy Russian um, accents to speak of. Uh, everybody just pretty much talks like they're going to talk. And they bring to the fore the idea of the caricatures that these people had in the press and during the Cold War and things that we've learned about them since the end of the Cold War. Um, they put that stuff into more of caricature form because it fits the satire and makes for some very very funny filmmaking but at the end of the day the backdrop is still serious and some of the things that you find yourself laughing at uh in terms of like at the beginning of the movie when they're trying to literally recreate a recording for stalin because he didn't actually they they didn't actually have the right record for it or somehow the recording failed so they're literally trying to recreate a concert so that stalin won't go and fucking kill people you know um the the they couldn't you know like they're they're in desperate need of some doctors and they all have to go out of town to find doctors because all the good doctors were put to death by stalin so you you've got this idea of just the just the standard ludicrousness of what is happening makes it funny and and helps with the comedy and yet the satire is evident because of the horrendous nature of what really transpired in the Stalin regime. And that's really my biggest flaw uh, my biggest issue with the film. The film itself does its job and does its job well but i think i think it does almost too good of a job in that to a certain degree you forget the terror that was happening there and maybe it's because you know i'm i'm a history major fine and so i look at it through a slightly different lens but i think it instead of satirically viewing something and sh- and showing the ridiculousness that that came as a result of Stalin and a fun way to do the inviting it almost is like it kind of smacks of of real mockery and i think i think the film loses sight of itself in that regard and i think that it can cause you to forget the seriousness of what was of what was transpiring behind there, um, and I don't think it causes people to. I don't. I don't think it will inspire people. Not cause, but I don't think it will inspire people to really go and take a look at what this is being satirical of. They'll just enjoy it for the performances and for the humor, um, despite 
some moments of, of seriousness in it. Um, and let it go at that. And I think that this movie needed to be a little bit more aware of that so that people can understand what Stalin was really about. Um, look into that and maybe use that knowledge to help prevent history from repeating itself, regardless of where you stand on things today. So for that reason, uh, I give this movie a four. Um, and I guess that's what I'd say about that. So four out of five. What do you got there, Tim? This is a four out of five as well in my book. I agree with every single thing you just said. I laughed quite a bit during this film. However, I found myself paying more attention to the performances. Everyone in this film is fantastic. Steve Buscemi is great. Uh, I, I enjoyed Michael Palin. Jeffrey Tambor plays a very Jeffrey Tambor character. There's a lot to get a kick out of, especially that opening scene with Patty Considine and that whole orchestra. I thought it was just absolutely hilarious. What I think would have benefited is if the writer-director and the writer-director, again, Armando Iannucci. And Armando Iannucci was nominated for Academy Award about 10 years or so ago for In the Loop. He was the writer and director of In the Loop, as well as one of the writers and one of the many directors for the TV show Veep. He's very much like the European version of... Shit, who's the guy that did the West Wing and wrote and directed Molly's Game? Aaron, Aaron Sorkin? Sorkin. Yeah, he's like the European version of Aaron Sorkin. If you've never if you haven't seen this movie or having a hard time understanding what we're talking about, it's it's in that vein of Veep and In the Loop, where it's very sophisticated humor. However, I think the humor should have been closer to farcical, maybe even slapstick, or the movie needed more bite to it. Say, like, Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. The Great Dictator is the film where Charlie Chaplin plays his classic tramp character who lives in the ghetto. He gets confused because he looks very much like Henkel, who is the Hitler character. And so he dresses up like Hitler and... Closer to the, you know, as the movie goes on and various raids happen, the movie is still funny, and there are still a lot of fun and exciting Charlie Chaplin-esque gags, but the movie begins to take on more of a serious tone. And people think he's the Henkel Hitler character, and he has to give this big speech at the very end. What Chaplin did in that uh, at that moment, he did something that was very provocative and pretty much got him blacklisted. <laughs> he actually turned to the camera and pleaded to the audience, basically to the entire world, we all must band together and save humanity from the evil forces in Germany. Because at this time, World War II and Hitler was still very much a thing when this film uh, came out. Obviously, with the death of Stalin, this is many years after the case, but I think the movie would have worked significantly better, not necessarily if they had as much bite as uh, The Great Dictator. It could have used that bite to really drive a message home. And of course, if they weren't going to go that route, then doing more of the Mel Brooks over-the-top satire and, dare I say, even slapstick-esque humor throughout you know, would have definitely established this film as 
being more of a satirical piece of comedy. However, the movie is kind of in the middle. It never, it reaches more into the satirical slapstick side than over towards a biting message. Therefore, as the movie goes on, there are some stagnant parts. However, I do love me movies like this. It's a very smart film with great performances. I really couldn't see this movie being done by anybody else other than, say, Monty Python. I mean, even The Life of Brian had some bite to it. This is a four out of five movie for me, The Death of Stalin. Do check it out if you like well-written humor in a good script without being overly pretentious. So there you have it. Outstanding, outstanding. All right, so last but not least, Avengers Infinity War. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. In time, you will know what it's like to lose, to feel so desperately that you're right, yet to fail all the same. Dread it. Run from it. Destiny still arrives. Evacuate the city. Engage all defenses. And get this man a shield. Fun isn't something one considers when balancing the universe. But this <laughs> does put a smile on my face. That's right, folks. 2018 American superhero film based on the Marvel Comics superhero team, The Avengers. Of course, produced by Marvel Studios, distributed by Walt Disney Studios. Uh, as we all know, it is the sequel to uh, The Avengers from 2012 and 2015's Avengers Age of Ultron. And is actually, I looked this up on Wikipedia, it is the ninth film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, let's see here. Film uh, is directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, and it has the ensemble cast of pretty much everybody you've seen uh, in the last, you know, say like 13, 14 movies. Um, but uh, with, with, of course, the confirmation here of um, Josh Brolin as Thanos. So, you know, you've got that um in it locked down. Now, I am going to uh Tim, wh- how do you feel about just having a full-on discussion? Spoilers and the whole nine. Are we good with this? Yes. Okay. Oh, totally, yeah. All right. Yeah. So then up front, this is my three-word spoiler-free review. Go see it. Score 4.5. Tim, would you like to provide your score really quick? And then we can just start talking. (laughs) 4.5. Surprisingly, 4.5. Oh, I thought you were were making fun of me. Seriously? It's a 4.5 for you too? Oh, dead serious. Wow. Oh, my God. (laughs) Holy shit. Okay, that is amazing. Um, Okay, so there you go. So from here on out, guys, spoilers all the fuck over the place. Um... All right. So, yes. Okay. Um, so, okay. So for me, Tim, the reason why 
um, the, the the points that I took off were for I at this point, um, I am pretty much done with, um. Uh, in superhero movies especially, I am pretty much done with the blend of CGI and live actors. It's just, it, it's almost to the point where it is literally distracting, um, especially like in Wakanda. This is something that was, uh, that was really obvious in Black Panther and even more obvious now in Wakanda. Um, no matter where they are in Wakanda, you can always tell that they're always standing in front of a blue screen. And, um, and it's just, it's such a, it's so patently obvious that these are people dealing with interacting with CGI characters or people wearing suits that will help them alter in size and shape or whatever, depending on what they're doing, that it's, it's kind of like removing me instead of keeping me invested all the time. It's just this kind of little reminder that I can't be 100%, you know, invested. I can't be 100% sucked in to the reality of the movie because I can, I can tell that it's fake. Um, and so that was a quarter star there because it still overcomes that for the most part, but it just, it's just kind of irritating. The other quarter star for me is pulled because of um, the the human emotional element, something that um, that it's not quite as terrible as uh, what Ebert calls the idiot syndrome, uh, where a movie literally exists because one or more of the main characters are acting like idiots, and if they would just talk or act a little bit more normally, the movie wouldn't happen. Um, but it's not that they're being idiotic so much as they're letting, you know, it's, it's more like the human emotional quotient. Um, so for instance, when star Lord finds out that Gamora has been killed and he starts punching Thanos in the face, right. As they're about to get that fucking gauntlet off. And I, I understand that it's a real emotional thing. Like, you would probably do that too. But at the same time, wasn't that just awfully fucking convenient just so that we could have more of the movie? Um, and, and, and the same kind of like, and the same kinds of things that like, where's my emotional buildup for like, even at the beginning of the movie when Loki is killed, right? We go from the end, from the end scene, post credit scene of Thor Ragnarok to everything's just been completely laid waste and it's pretty much just Thor, Loki, oh, what's his face? Idris Elba? Yeah, Heimdall. Yeah, Idris Elba, Heimdall, and Hulk, right? So where where is my emotional investment? So, I mean, you, you've got this just generic kind of human emotional quotient that's happening that that I get it. It's necessary because you have to have, I mean, it's an ensemble thing. It's a ton of different vignettes and they're all necessary in their own right to build the story and kind of give you this thing. But that for me, while I understood that it was there, I felt it could have been executed better. And so there's your other quarter star. So both of those things um, are why I have a four and a half out of five on this. But I will say that, um, 
my God, did they finally get the villain right. Jesus, is Thanos like just the perfect fucking villain ever? Because he is, he's not megalomaniacal, but at the same time, his, his unwavering belief in that his way is the right way and his single path that he takes and his uh, is is refreshing and he doesn't have hate you know he doesn't he's not evil because of greed or insanity he is evil out of his own twisted sense of cosmic justice fairness he's almost like literally chaotic neutral and yet he's willing to kill gamora he's willing to destroy the entire half of the entire universe and i absolutely love that when he you know tells thor you should have aimed for my head and he destroys the gauntlet in order to save himself and kill off half the universe that he does exactly what he said he was going to do. He's going to go and watch the sunrise on a planet, knowing that he's done his job to save the universe by destroying half of it. And I mean, man, it was just, you know, God, it was just great. It, you know, I, I, you know, and then like all of the appearances with like, you know, Red Skull being there and, and, and just bringing back little cameos by all these cool people. Um, yeah, it was fun. I don't know. I, I was trying to have a dialogue and I kind of railroaded you so that you haven't been able to talk yet. So I'm going to shut up. What do you think? <laughs> you brought up Red Skull. Uh, do you think that was just kind of more shoehorned in there or did you think it was fitting no, it movie. was because the entirety of the Marvel Universe includes characters like Death. Death is an actual character in the in the Marvel Universe. Now, it's not been the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the way that they chose to represent Death as Red Skull and show the price that the failure to obtain the infinity gems ex- exacts was 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 amazing I mean, I mean did they actually say that he represented death no but figuratively you are meant to um you are meant to get that i know in the comics there is an actual death character yes, yes exactly that's what yes so in the marvel universe that's why i said in the marvel universe death is an actual character in uh, in the comics. And so when you're incorporating all aspects of it, death would have, death would be taking part in the infinity war. So the fact that they use the specter, I mean, come on, black robes, hood, fluttering, having to take the soul, guiding someone, you know, to basically the eternal abyss. And what does death well, he was look the like? Keeper of you the know, soul stone. True, but you know when you think traditionally of death as the Grim Reaper and a skeleton with the big skull face and the hood and the, you know, and well, who do they use? Red Skull, who conveniently has the similar specter shape to death. 
Um, but at the same time, they get to use uh, Red Skull as the cautionary tale. He is like, this is the price that the failure of of getting the Infinity Gems extracts, you know, and exacts upon those who can't do it. I I thought was just such a great touch. It, I mean, it really was. He kind of gave off Blue Knight, the Blue Knight vibes from the third Indiana Jones movie. You know, the Blue Knight that guarded oh. Christ's cup. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, very, very similar. You know, and again, it does go to show so many, there's just so many wonderful allegorical things that they use um in, in even just in that one scene where he goes to get where Thanos fetches the soul stone because you see just exactly um I don't know how where you're at on your biblical uh bible story knowledge not there okay so in the bible for example one of the big things that's always talked about for obedience and blah 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 is the story of when um in kind of setting up the narrative for how god would give his only begotten son which is jesus in the old testament uh god tells abraham who had spent like all these years trying to finally get a son uh he finally gets his son and god says okay i want you to you know sacrifice your son and so uh he does he he goes and he has faith in God and he's going to leave in God even though he doesn't understand God takes him up there goes to actually kill him uh to sacrifice his son and at the very last minute you know he's spared right and then yay cuz God's cool i don't know whatever so um you know this could be one of the reasons why i have a problem with religion i don't know maybe we'll we'll see anyway um so but here so so here we have the same thing right uh, Red Skull is like, you know, in order to obtain the soul gem, you have to give a soul. And the only way to provide a soul is to provide a soul of one you truly love. And for him, that's Gamora. And Gamora, despite all her hate, despite all her frustration, doesn't see that he loves her. He's not mad. Look at what he does to um oh god uh what's her face nebula is yeah nebula and yet he lets her almost try to kill him he lets uh he lets gamora get away with anything and he only uses nebula against gamora um because he knows that even though he loves her she's frustrated with him and she hates him and so he uses it just to keep her in line not even as a torture, not even as, as some, because, because Thanos doesn't see it that way. He just sees it as, well, I have to keep her in line because she's my daughter. And I just, and, and this is to help her. It's not right. It's evil. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not defending him or justifying him, but you can see that he treats her just like a doting father would, you know? Uh, with a slightly spoiled and arrogant child. But he's still not afraid, you know? And he, and, and he, he tosses her down. He tosses her down, you know? And God, it's just so, 
fucking cool, man. You know, you got all these different, <laughs> you know, uh, allegorical things Death, that you can killing, take from it. Killing family. Yeah, no, yeah. but seriously, I mean, because you know, you take, you think of it as a god, right? Like Thanos, uh, trying to overcome the universe and the strength of the universe and its creator, which you again. So if you could. You know, if you have that biblical knowledge that you can, you know, run those allegories against or you, um, you, you know, perhaps you're more into um, mythology, right? So the Greek mythology, Roman mythology, rife with all these kinds of terrible, you know, Sophie's choices, if you will. And yet there's always the one who's the purest and uh, and and the most willing of heart. Well, sometimes the purity of your drive doesn't mean that what you're driving for is pure and Thanos doesn't see that. And, and just to watch all of these different things fall apart as the team struggles with this concept too, you know? Um, Oh God, it's just, yeah. So many good things in this movie. Yeah, you brought up the nebula torturing thing, kind of, and that movie kind of knocked me back in my seat. Not that movie, that moment, that segment, because it's pretty painful to watch, because you see Nebula, over the course of the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies, finally warming up to her sister, and in a way forgiving her sister, and then seeing her be put through something as graphic as what she is put through that Thanos puts her through is pretty surprising and a little slightly unnerving. And honestly, it, it made all those other fucking million Marvel movies made me appreciate them a little bit more because it made this movie that much more uh, satisfying. And I'm happy. I'm so glad that we're able to have a more adult uh, Marvel movie or an Avengers movie, because this definitely feels more adult. In fact, even if I haven't seen any of the other Marvel movies, maybe just a couple of them, I still would have gotten a kick out of this film because it felt like a big blockbuster superhero movie. You know, we already have an idea of how it's like whenever if we went to go see a Batman movie, well, I mean, you know how Batman is. Do you really need a lot of context to it? I mean, it's not like we're watching a Christopher Nolan, you know, superhero movie. This is still a comic book movie. And, you know, like, this is what I wanted to see. You know, this is what we got with the first Iron Man. This is what we got with Guardians of the Galaxy. This is what I want to see from every other Marvel movie from here on out. I doubt that's going to happen. Sure. Well, and, and, and that's the thing, though, is that with this movie... They really nailed the culmination of everything where you believe that these people, you believe the characters because you, because you now have had the realization, the culmination of what these characters have grown into, right? You see that Star Lord, that Peter is actually willing to pull the trigger on Gamora, you know? And with the experience of the other two movies, where you may or may not have fully appreciated that, for whatever reason, now you get to see just exactly how much that they've grown. Like you said, I mean, it's it's literally like watching adults finally being adults, you know? Um, and it's the same thing with, 
with with um Robert Downey Jr., right? Uh so Tony is finally come full circle. He's not scared anymore. He's just literally come to the end. He's like this is it and now it's time to deal because as an adult you have to know when you've got to deal with something versus when others you know when you have to be the one that's got to be responsible because others either can't or won't and sure he, and he makes that decision and he's like you know and he's telling steven he's like we have to take the fight to them you know and it ends up going but even then that the way that strange spins that all around he's like i looked at 14 million possibilities and bam you know this is the only one that has to have a chance and he lets Thanos win, you know, and you see him at the end. And this was something that I thought was really cool was that Thanos was truly a man of his word because he got the gem and the condition was Tony lives. So he gets the gem. And even at the end of the movie, when half the universe gets destroyed, Tony is not one of the ones who dies because Thanos kept his word. And it'll be interesting to see how, you know, what it was that Steven saw in his 14 million possibilities with the one that had the best chance of working that required Tony to live so that he's going to have somehow. Because, I mean, we know at the end of the day, it's going to be the reality gem and the time gem that come into play in order to bring these people back because... Um, there's no way to not have another Spider-Man movie because <laughs> they've already got him in the pipe. Right. So, so you know he's coming back, you know. And we also know that Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel and Warlock are going to play big roles in the next Avengers movie. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure Warlock will because he plays a pretty big role uh, of, uh, in, well, the, in the comic book. Is he, well, I know, but the comic, but but um, Warlock won't have time to come out because um, Infinity Wars Part Two comes out May third next year. So only well, Ant-Man's no, I'm not saying. Out. I'm not saying that they don't have to make a movie. I'm just saying that he can still appear in the movie. I mean, for oh, I, I mean, he can even appear in uh, Ant Man or you know, wait, is it Warlock? It's whoever fucking appeared. During the post-credit scene of the last Guardians of the Galaxy, that gold oh, moment. Oh, Adam! Created. Yeah, Adam. Something. Or other. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Right. With Infinity War, the two things that bothered me. One of them is kind of trivial, but overall, I thought this movie had awesome CGI uh, and a really cool look to it. Unlike a lot of the other Marvel movies, and I'm not really talking about Guardians of the Galaxy because Guardians of the Galaxy has pretty good CGI from beginning to end. But up until the two-hour and 20-minute mark, I was finally bothered by one piece of CGI, and it was after the stone was ripped out of Vision's forehead and all these Avengers and whoever else were kind of like around him. Actually, I think this was the scene. I can't remember. But you see Banner in the Hulkbuster costume, and the top is open, so you see Bruce Banner in the captain seat, and the CGI compositing or whatever it is looked fucking awful. It looked so bad. And that was pretty my, much my only complaint, technical-wise. Now, characterization's my only issue, and I'm going to keep this as simplistic and short as possible given time. 
with Thanos, you know, Thanos seemed like a pretty reasonable guy for the most part. And he wanted to use this glove to cleanse the earth and yada, 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 you know, restore the balance. Now, why doesn't he just use the glove to create more food, to create more things to help out with poverty, use it for good to make things how they currently are work instead of completely killing off 50% of the population in the universe. I guess what I'm saying is that he's a good villain, he's a good bad guy, but I felt like I understood him more so outside of that. I think he needed more of a bite, you know, more of an evil bite. Whereas like in the comics, you know, like death, he wanted to impress death, the death character, you know, this woman he had the hots for. So in tribute to her, he was going to kill off the population. He was going to use off, use the killing of half the population as a tribute to, I guess, gain her respect or gain her love. Now that would have been interesting if they incorporated that into Roland's Thanos, because again, how it stands, if he's a reasonable guy, if people are actually coming out and saying, you know, I'm talking about reviewers, fans, everybody, they're saying, like, you know, he's he's relatable. Well, you know, wouldn't you use the glove to at least make what is current, you know, make things work as is? So that is my only issue. But it was a big enough issue to really give this movie a four. I just didn't feel comfortable giving it a five. But... You know, a 4.5, I think, for any Marvel movie is a great rating. I would agree. Is there anything else we want to say? Good job. (laughs) 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 I'm going to spend another two and a half hours sitting in a theater watching it again. So, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. Well, okay, man. That's outstanding. Yeah, I depending on if... uh... I get uh, some time tomorrow. I've got a whole bunch of stuff going on, but if I can break away, I think I'm going to try and see it again tomorrow myself. So, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies are going to be Mom and Dad and Beirut. So, I believe that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel on. Oh, Stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama didn't raise no dummies. I duck a rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Chomp don't want to help, chomp don't get the help. Say can't hang, say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in here. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at NitTwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. And, of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down 
out on the old SoundCloud. And um, now, also to note, we are also on Patreon. And so until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Jason Isaacs, I get to say this. I think I was probably always a liar. I just get paid for it now. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.